I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, Conversations on Catholic Faith and Culture. This is episode 34, and with Paul Jernberg, this is the third in our series of podcasts. And in this one, we look at the problems in what passes for sacred music today and start to discuss what the answer might be and why we need composers more than ever to produce new music because we can't simply rely on the past. Hello, I'm here again with Paul Jernberg. Great to see you, Paul. And um, yeah. so this, this is always the one that uh, people love to talk about <laughs> in today's world. Uh, what's the problem uh, today? So we've talked about the ideals in the last couple of podcasts and explored that. And so in order to be able to uh, understand what's needed today, of course, inevitably, we do have to be critical in some way of, of, of the situation. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here talking and saying there's a need. So in uh, your estimation, Paul, what what what's gone wrong? What, why do, do so many of us have a feeling that the the music isn't isn't right? Right. Well, first of all, let me say that uh, what I'm going to say has nothing to do with a personal attack. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and I need to say that because I've worked in many different parish situations with with overwhelmingly, I would say, people are are wonderful people of goodwill. Uh, who are trying to do the best they can with what they've been given. And uh, I admire a lot of these people. Um, but, and so, so I need to lay that down first. But there, is a major, there's, there are, are major problems. And you can see this, you know, after we, just in our last session, we went through all the different characteristics of sacred music, and we just need to ask, where are we today in relationship to that? You know, where are we in terms of the holiness of the music, the, the beauty and the universality? Are those things that exemplify our music? Where are we in terms of the word being the, uh, the focus rather than you know, the music drawing attention to itself? Where are we in terms of this interior effect we talked about that, that draws people in to the mass and draws them in deeply into the liturgy and even is a, a strong spiritual uh, effect, awakening even. Where are we with this? And I, and I think that, honestly, for, for those who are asking these questions, we see there's, there's something that has gone awfully wrong uh, in, in our liturgy, in the, the sacred music. And, I, and so, so typically, uh, in analyzing this, we, people will look to the, the point of the Second Vatican Council and the effect afterwards. Um, and clearly, that the, because of the fact that the, the vernacular was allowed, it was permitted at that point, there was, an, and as, as we know, the Vatican Council actually called for, uh, it, it permitted the use of vernacular, but it was not advocating a complete, uh, immediate uh, throwing out of, of, the, of the Latin. Um, but because of the change in practice to the vernacular, there was an immediate need for new music. And um, the, what happened at that point was that that 
there was a very strong uh, contingent within the the leadership of of church musicians in the Catholic Church, and I and a very dear friend of mine was was part of this at the time. There there were people that were were working hard to make something of of dignity and continuity with the tradition. But then there were other people that were saying, no, we just need a whole new start. We need to find new models. We need, and, and they were open to more secular models. And uh, that, unfortunately, I would say that latter group uh, sort of won out, it won that battle, so to speak. It, there was just a tremendous amount of experimentation with, with every, you know, stuff much worse than we hear today as far as just throwing out the text even having you know peter paul and mary songs i love peter paul and mary but but their songs don't fit you know leaving out a jet plane is pretty strange for or, or you know and other just i've heard elvis presley song you know yeah. <laughs> it's like this idea that as long as it engages the people that's what we're after here right so if you have to use elvis presley do it if you have to use rock music do it if you have to use you know the sing song before me, do it. Whatever is it? Is it engaging the people? But you see, the whole idea is that that we missed. I think the problem there with that is that we missed some of the essential things I was talking about before. Is this music? Is it first of all is it united to the sacred text? I mean, are we really seeing the liturgy, or are we creating a whole new thing? Is it and is it drawing us? into the depths of that, you know, that, is it drawing us to a deeper communion with, with Christ? Is it, is, does it have a strong contemplative dimension? Does it have dignity to it that, you know, that, that the liturgy needs to have? The, the, and this is where it's important to look carefully also at exactly what is the liturgy, not only what's its music, but, but there's something awful that happened. Um, however, I, I would say that if we look back a little farther in history, yeah, before Vatican II, it's not as if there was suddenly a problem. The problem can be traced back long before. And uh, we can see this, I mean, there's different, different books that trace this beautifully um, that I'd be happy to give uh, some references there. But we can see even in the 20, early 20th century, for example, Pius X was, was concerned about the, what he called theatrical music. In, in the United States, we see lots of very sentimental music um, that, is, that was added onto the literature and became part of people. This was long before Vatican II. I would assert that uh, we need to go at all, also look back to the development all the way back to the Renaissance, as far as music is concerned, because, and this, this is a very broad subject that needs uh, that needs serious study, and that that uh, we will only be able to touch on briefly here. But basically, one of the things we see in the Renaissance is this whole this shift from. In the Middle Ages, you had this tremendous cultural focus on, on the liturgy and on the faith. In the Renaissance, you have this awakening to these wonderful capacity, human capacities that we have, and you have this, this whole new uh, surging of, of 
of artistic expression in secular uh, venues. And so in terms of music, there's a whole new emphasis starting, it starts in the Renaissance and then goes very much into the broke of, of the greatest artists, you might say, and now are composing mainly for concerts and operas. They are still composing at first, I mean, we still have great composers who are writing, uh, composing for the liturgy, of course, but the focus shifts to a secular venue of being, you might say, the, the, the paradigm. And so what I would, I would assert is that we have, there's a certain problem that we can trace back all the way back to the, to the Baroque and even to the, to the late Renaissance of this shift to the more secular model and to the, to the sort of more humanist, uh, humanistic emphasis, you might say, on the greatness of what we can compose. And now, the thing is that the, 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 uh, uh, the difficulty here is that this music we're talking about, the, this, this development of art music is actually a magnificent thing, which in itself actually does have a, a certain capacity to draw us closer to God. It's like when we hear Handel's Messiah or we hear or even the, the secular works of, of the great composers. So far as they're truly beautiful, they can really, they, they can do something very good to us. But they are, there's a shift away from the parameters that are needed in the liturgy. So, so this is a, again, there, there's a lot to look at here, but I would say that, the, that we cannot oversimplify say the problem is simply or merely since Vatican II. It goes deeper than that. And um, however, uh, the Holy Spirit is still leading the church and there's always, there have always been rays of hope <laughs> throughout the way. So it's not like we're, we're left to our own, completely to our own devices, but I think we're at a point right now in history where we have to say there's something wrong, there's something terribly wrong here that needs to be fixed. And, and I believe that we are being given the tools and the keys to, to see that and to do something beautiful about that today. Something I think there's, there are, we, we're, from our vantage point today, we can see both, we can look back on the history of church music. We can, we can learn from that. We, can, we, need to, we need to be formed in our own great traditions. But we can, also, we can also look at the great traditions of, East, of the East as well, all these other rites. It's amazing. And we can, we can learn from those two. We can see the, the common principles. And from this vantage point, it, with great humility, of course, uh, I think that, that maybe we're being given the keys to, to do something uh, inspired today in this development. Again, I come to, I've often thought that what you, you're describing is true about art as well. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're in a position today, especially in the West, to make an assessment of past traditions from a detached position, precisely because we are detached from them. We, we, <clears throat> everything, they're all foreign to us in some way because uh, the, the culture today is so separated from the sacred 
that yeah. those who yearn for it can see in these different traditions uh, what is there in a way that would not have been possible even for the people themselves because so much of the people who were immersed in it weren't aware in the same way of what they were doing because that it was just it was just natural to them that's right uh, and i think that that you and i've often thought that we're in a fortunate position to decide and again you have to as you stress with humility and discernment uh, and we can get this terribly wrong as the lessons of the last 50 years have told us um, but nevertheless we have the possibility of doing something very right um, and i and the interesting thing is again in the eastern church there isn't this continuous line of perfection that that about the same time that we started to look they were doing the same and they uh, so uh, they seem to have done a better job they seem to have avoided the, the problems we have, but they have had the same sort of process of resourcement, if you can call it that, going back to the original principles, not simply copying them, but applying them. So in iconography, this went on in the mid 20th century, predominantly. Right. Um, so it's about the same time uh, that they started to look at what was going on and retain what was good. So they're not throwing everything out. Uh, but nevertheless being prepared to say we need to ditch quite a lot of this um, the problem in the west is that we ditched everything as far as i can work out but that that nevertheless we are in a fortunate position of being able to look in some way more objectively at these things and if we want to make a good start we really can do it and draw on the best in a way that's going to resonate today yes i, I agree so, and, and you know, this is, this is something that affects people every day throughout our world and, you know, it's in, in a very deep way. Because I, th I think, uh, for example, my wife and I were in California uh, a couple of years ago and we were uh, helping somebody in our family who was in a very difficult situation. And it was a very difficult time. We went, uh, Sunday, we went to uh, a parish um, you know, we the, there was a beautiful grand piano up in front. The church had beautiful uh, icon iconography. It was the 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 musician was playing uh, lovely piano bar like renditions of 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 contemporary liturgical music. <laughs> <laughs> but what does that do to you when you go into a place like that? And I mean. In, in one way, okay, you can say, well, piano bar music is sort of soothing and it's sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> relaxing. And evil, but, you know, when you're really searching for God and you're really hungry for his presence and you go in and you hear a piano bar style playing in the liturgy, what does that do to you? You know, what hope does that get? And for, I mean, for us, we got up and left. Uh, we went to another place. And there, uh, well, I won't go through all the details, but we, we went to, we went to another place where the music was pretty good, but it was being blared out of loudspeakers. Yeah, and, and there was a you know, and and so much so that it was just jarring, felt assaulted. So, of course, in situations like this, I have a responsibility 
to pray and, and to, to be strong in my own will to enter into the hell of the mass, even if I'm not getting the stuff in the, in the, on the outside. I understand that. And each one of us actually has that responsibility to, to keep our own focus. However, as a musician, I want to say this stuff needs to be fixed. Not, not to go along just with my own personal feelings, but, but to, to recognize there are certain principles here that, that need to be acknowledged and need to be articulated. Uh, we can do this. We can, we can uh, it, this is totally possible to, to understand these principles and to work together to, um, to reestablish some sense of sanity. So I think then that takes us to that point. So what is the solution? How, how do we do that? And I know, I think you, you're on the right tracks. That's why I'm talking to you today. But give us, make a start with this. Tell, tell us where we go from here. What, what do you think we can do? Right. Well, I would say, you know, the first, po first uh, point of departure for everything we do is where as Pope Benedict so, so um, clearly stated it, you know, and as of course, this, this is just inherent in our faith throughout the history of the church, but anything that's good that we're gonna do needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's, that's a given, and I think that people understand that. But then, but that's, if I dare say it's not enough because there, just like if we think of a, a boat, say a, a sailboat sailing, right? It, it needs to be well constructed. It needs to have uh, it needs to have sails, sails that are sturdy and that are uh, that are manipulable. It needs to have all sorts of things. And similar uh, in our work today to fix this, there are real objective things we need to do. Um, part of it is the work of composers, and we can talk more about that later. Mm. This is, uh, and, and we're seeing some good things happening these days in that regard, but we really need to um, help composers to understand more some of the basic perimeters. Uh, so, because we, we do need music, we need, and we need more music for the liturgy uh, that, that, uh, is fitting. We also need, I think, to offer formation for priests and bishops uh, that has been sorely lacking. Uh, now, whether or not they are interested in this formation, I don't know, but those of us who are capable of giving it need to, to be working hard to to um, put together this kind of formation um, so that they, they, these priests and, and bishops as well can in turn lead their, their flocks in the, in the right direction. Um, we're seeing some wonderful uh, activity in this regard by, uh, already I, I know people working uh, in different seminaries and uh, Certain bishop, whom we know, who's doing, I think, great things uh, in this regard, 
So it's starting, we can see little, little um, sparks, but, but we need to go farther with this. We really need, we need to work in the formation of, of seminarians, of priests, and it needs to be, uh, we need the leadership. Eventually, we need a strong leadership from bishops to, uh, to make this happen. How long that, I mean, I think from my own perspective, I know from experience that um, you cannot control what a, what a priest or a bishop, you know, they, they, um, they do not have this formation. So from my own perspective, I think the most important thing that I can do is, is to articulate clearly the aspects of this formation, to present it to others, to, to be a witness to the, what, um, what I understand to be the truth of sacred music. And then, and that, and then hopefully to, uh, we're, right now we've just done a recording of a, of a votive mass of the Holy Spirit was totally sung. So we're, we're working hard here also to do, to present, to give people a taste of this, what it can be. So these are some of the things I, I'm sure we can go deeper and explore lots more of, of the solutions, but those are some of the, the first aspects I would think. Yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit, I, I don't want to go into your composing methods here, but just, uh, you said we're working hard here. Where is here? What, what is here? Well, the, what is, well, the Magnificat Institute of Sacred Music is yeah. what I've, uh, is the, Institute, which I have founded and which I have the great privilege of, of working with right now, full time, and uh, this is we're in Lancaster, Massachusetts, and our work or my my work has to do with um, putting all these elements together in a package, you might say, that can be presented to priests, to church musicians, to bishops, and uh, basically give them the, the tools they need to affect this renewal. And um, so part of it is through my own compositions, uh, but a big part is also is uh, introducing people to our great, great traditions, primarily West, but also East. And, uh, and then lots of other projects, such as the recordings I mentioned. Yes. Um Excuse me, in a workshop, we have our first workshop this summer, uh, June 24th to 29th in Warner, North New Hampshire, in Northeast Catholic College. And people can find, uh, can register for that if they're interested on our website, magnificatinstitute.org. Right, magnificatinstitute.org. That's right. Now, who is that for? That's for composers or... Well, no, it's primarily, this is actually primarily for music, uh, church musicians and clergy and anyone else interested in participating in this, this movement of renewal. Um, so this is our, this is what um, our big concern is, is not only, I mean, of course, a big part of it for me is, is composition, but more than that, it's really facilitating this renewal that we need, doing everything we can to provide the tools and the resources for this renewal. Right. Now, um, what I would like to do, if we can, is just um, consider 
uh, a little bit more about that that formation. So, uh, what what are you looking for priests to do? Who, how, how, how do you imagine the uh, the actual? So you have the priest who is. Uh, doesn't understand music. So in the seminaries, they need to understand a lot of what you're describing. Um, yeah. Where might the uh, co commissioning of sacred music come from? Is this at a parish level? Is it at a, a, a diocesan level? Are we looking for rich individuals or is it all of the above? Um, how do you see any of this emerging or are you or do you not at this point do, are you just hoping that all of these people will might be uh, inspired and something will come through well i think for uh, uh, the strategy that we see is that we're pursuing is first of all to speak to those people who are hungry and and for my own experience through my own compositions through e lots of email kind of I can see that there are a lot of people, a lot of priests who are hungry for this, this, re this restoration, you might say, of integrity or this renewal that we're talking about. So that, to me, is a great encouragement. And I see, our, so that's really our first audience. Yeah. The first goal is to try to reach those people and to help them to facilitate the good things happening in their parishes and their dioceses and and so by doing that setting you know building a foundation you might say and then from that the idea is then that hopefully that can grow you might say to evangelize even those who are not yet hungry or who don't realize they're hungry yes uh, so certainly any uh, as far as composition is concerned and commissioning of course they're certainly open to that from all directions whether it be mm. in parishes or or uh, bishop uh, bishops dioceses that, that's great and that that can be that is we're certainly open to that as well and it's also similarly with our workshop we're open to the, the idea is to be able to do that with parishes dioceses Community uh, and to who are hungry, <laughs> who are open, and who are who sense this this great need. So that that's. Yeah. I, I I'm just going to sort of mention my own thoughts because I've been thinking about this in the context of art, and I was struck, as I always do, <laughs> I always make the parallels, uh, but on my visits to England, for example. You've got, there are some churches in the southwest of England which were not destroyed so thoroughly by the reformers. So that you, you still have these wall paintings and uh, rood screens, for example, in, in churches in Devon, little village churches that, that predate the Reformation. <clears throat> and what's clear is that those churches they weren't paying for someone to be flown in from France to, you know, the, to, to paint for them. They would have, it would be local people that did it. Yes. Now, if they could do it, we should be able to do it better <laughs> today I, uh, in terms of resources. Um, and 
one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about, and I've done podcasts on this, is, is that perhaps the answer lies um, in trying to encourage parish-based um, movements so that rather than having everybody going from the parish to the, the school or the university or the, the centrally placed point of education, actually to devolve that, the principle of subsidiarity, that you need this dynamic environment yeah. right down where it's happening. And it's there that the formation will occur. Yeah. And, and really, you encourage the strong parishes. Um, and, the, and you may say, well, how can they have the resources? Well, the answer is that when people value this, that the resources will come. If, if a parish can raise the money to pay for the building of a church, they can do that. It's a question of directing that. And I've seen that again in Eastern churches where they will commission art. The, the, the Orthodox church, will, as far as possible, tries to get original art in there. And they will, get, they will have very, very good um, reproductions where they, where they have it, but gradually they will do that. And very often, it's, what happens is you have a, a, a parishioner who is an artist. That's the most likely source. And now I would say that that's what we need is that the more of those you have, then you create a sort of the, the, a natural market, if you like, competitive market. The best of those will rise to the surface. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, that's not really a question. It's a statement. But do you have any um, any thoughts on that at all? Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. So. And in one way, what you're saying reminds me of what Pope Benedict uh, said so often about the nature of growth in the church being essentially starting small. <laughs> and it's saying that basically this is a principle that we can see throughout church history and all the way back to the 12 apostles and that the great monastic movements, they started on a small level, a local level, and then grew. So I think, yeah, I think in one way, to the extent that the par parishes and little places can can do good things. This, can, this has great power because we're not just talking about just talking about art. We're talking about something very powerful. The, the liturgy is powerful, and when people, when it's done lovingly and well, and and uh, with attention to the things we've been talking about, it's 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 got like a seed that can grow into a giant oak tree, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's very helpful. Um, if I could say one more thing there, too, yeah. along those lines, too, because one of the basic things we're working with, and which I think is important universally, is that sacred music in the church needs to be accessible for the, in the most humble circumstances, say, as well as it's important that we don't uh, portray sacred music renewal is something that can only happen in very rich parishes or where there's lots of singers. Mm. There's a quality to it that, of course, I mean, it's wonderful. I don't want to denigrate either the role of professional musicians and artists and so forth, but, but there's, there's a, a dimension of sacred music that really is accessible, even in very, very humble situations. And I can give you all sorts of examples of that. But so I think that's really important 
for the listeners to be aware of too is that not to be discouraged if they're in a little place out in the middle of nowhere. That they that there really is something that they can do if well, might say if the pastor is open, if the music you know they, because we really do need to have the the cooperation of the pastor. Yeah. I think the, the pastor is key as an inspirer. I, as a, there is a church that I'm aware of in Jasper, Georgia, and, and I'm hoping he won't mind me. Actually, his father, Charles Bird, he'd probably be cowering if he's listening to this because he's a humble man. But this is a little church in, it's Our Lady of the Mountains. It's in the Appalachians in Georgia. And because the pastor is very conscious of all the things that you're talking about, he has inspired this little church that they're commissioning art left, right, and center. And I know that he's even um, the inspire, um, has commissioned compositions as well for liturgy. Now, he has good taste. He is deeply aware of the, the culture. And he is catechizing his parish to desire this. And it's done in conjunction with the liturgy. And so it can be done. But the... It, the, the key to this is, is the pastor who is aware of this and then inspires the people to want it. And if you can pay for a church hall, you can pay for music, you can pay for art. It, it should be seen at that value. That's right. Um, the other thing that I think that I want to get to is, uh, we, we want to handle this <laughs> delicately, but where is the pushback to what you're describing? In my experience, it comes from surprising quarters. It's, it's not the liberals so much who just don't care anymore. <laughs> so, so there is some of that. But, um, you know, I would be viewed in my, when I describe what I'm interested in, I think we're in a similar sort of place. Um, for them, I seem pretty traditional. But actually, um, for the traditionalists, for some traditionalists, I'm too, uh, I'm worryingly radical as well because uh, of this aspect, which in the context of music, I, I'm thinking of art and, and the development of style, but you, you are asking for a new creativity. It's a creative retrieval. It's in this tradition of what um, I think of it as, as resource among, going back to the sources, but it is a creative retrieval. Now for some, they emphasize the retrieval but they're a little wary of the creative part of that because they've seen what that's led to. And so yeah. some are rejecting that altogether. Um, that's right. And again, I mean, Pope Benedict speaks very eloquently about the need for the liturgy as such. And so you might say the music with it is primarily something to be received, which I think is a very important principle that it's not that we're not creating the liturgy, but and yet there is a creative dimension that has existed in, throughout church history. And, yes. and that's what, how else would we see this variety of rites? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Gregorian chant was not, it was a development, mm. right? And, and I mean, it was well-rooted, of course, in the original chant, uh, Aramaic, Greek, you know, but the, but yet it was a development. It required creativity. I mean, yeah. as I, when I say a holy creativity, 
a creativity that was steeped in prayer, of course, that was that was united with the with uh, the united with Christ in in the context of liturgy. But I would argue that you, you can see not I wouldn't argue I just observe that you can see that all over the place through the history of the church, and you know what would, the people who are I, first of all you mentioned a good point. I understand that. These, the, the traditionalist view of finding a certain stability and peace in just saying, okay, we've got it already. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I understand that very well because I understand how, how brutal is the effect of so much of going from parish to parish to parish and feeling like you cannot find orthodoxy, you cannot find reverence. So, Believe me, I, I empathize greatly. Same here. Same here. And, and also, you know, it's not a, uh, so that's established. Having said that, I think there's a danger to be, as Pope Benedict again says, to see the liturgy as a museum piece. It's something that just that we just enter into the past, uh, as far as the the music and so forth. Because again, let's let's look at the at the. 15th and 16th centuries, Juscan, Palestrina, they, by the same in the same approach, they would have they would have been looked at askance because they were doing something that had not been done before, at least in the same I mean the same level, and um, you know, so, so so in my mind this is this is a even though the liturgy is uh, it's a gift primarily. And even though the arts that are combined to the liturgy, by their nature, there's this, you might say, a long process. Nevertheless, there are all sorts of moments throughout history, throughout you know, in different parts of the world, in the development of the church, that that have, have evoked this kind of creative response and that have been a holy thing and that have become subsequently part of the tradition of the church. Yes. Uh, I... I... My personal view is that um, we don't have an option, really. It, it, that uh, preservation of what is past, and again, I don't want to mischaracterize this. It, it, it's, it's very, there's no, it's never black and white. I mean, every, right, right. do you find someone who does not want any development at all? It's a question of how much they'll permit. But uh, so that's that's important to state. But um, really, we have to be prepared to take those risks and recognize that if there is creativity, some of it is not going to be great. Uh, that, uh, and the fact that so much is done badly, what that says to me is that we need to learn the lessons. We don't reject wholesale the idea of creativity. We've just got to do it better. Um, and we have to, if we want to engage with people today, if we want to evangelize, if we want to connect with people, um, I don't think we have an option but to try this. Um, we've just got to do it better. I agree, I agree David. And um, we need to do it with all the skill and prayer and um, understanding. Yes. And, 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 and I personally, I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always humbled. <laughs> and I think we always need to have that you know, certain, uh, that, as I said before, great humility in face of the tradition of our traditions and realize the, our own littleness. But having said, having said that, 
is, is our foundation. Having said that, I think there are, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is today, and, and, and there are inspirations. There are um, that are really engaging people. There are, that, and that are still faithful to these basic principles. And, and that is so encouraging to me in my own work. And, and like you say, for anybody who's, who's doing any kind of work, uh, artist, art, artistic work, there, there's always this element of human frailty and, and capacity to do substandard work and so forth. But yes. if we, if we, and again, I think to me, the key here is what you mentioned, evangelization. It's love the love of neighbor to which we're all called. If we truly love our neighbor, if we truly, you know, do we just say, well, do we, do we um, what's the word? Do we dismiss the people that aren't in our, sm our small group? Uh, do, no, it, this, we're called to evangelize. We're called to, to draw all people in so as, as much as we can to the, um, to, to the love of God and to, to the, uh, to the gospel. Mm. That's beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I think we'll, we'll stop there. Uh, just once again, it's magnificatinstitute.org is how they That's right. will can contact you. Um, Paul Jernberg, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the way of beauty podcast conversations on catholic faith and culture if you enjoyed this episode then please give us a five star review on itunes this will help others to find it too also if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss you can do a course at the pontifex university website that's pontifex.university